Wow, wow, good morning. Um, kia ora koutou katohi, mihi a te te whanau, nau mai, piki mai, kaki mai, ko taupiri te maunga, ko waikatau te awa, ko tainui te waka, ko tainui te iwi, ko nati teata te hapu, ko nati tipa te hapu, ko Adi Savia toko ingoa. My name is Adi Savia. I'm an all black, you don't believe me, do you? Well, I'm not all black, I'm mostly brown, someone believes me. A lot of South Africans in the house I heard, eh? Yeah, my goodness, my goodness. Yeah, it's good, man. Good, Chum. Right. So, look, there's a couple of things I'm going to go through to, to today. I'm going to talk about I Am Hope and what's been happening over the, the nation. And, uh, and then I'm just going to take on a bit of a story and a bit of a journey uh, about my life and where I've uh, been, where I've, well, where, where I've come from, uh, and where my life has actually gone on from here. So, uh, we've got some slides up there. So... First things first, um, I was part of uh, my good man, my good mate, uh, Lee Tapuya's uh, Box On uh, fundraiser event uh, yesterday. Lee's in the house. Give a, give a welcome to Lee. Um, Lee worked on the boxing bags, so you hold up the, the mitts, on the, bag, the mitts, on the pads, uh, for 24 hours non-stop, people coming in, taking turns, and it wasn't easy. I saw Lee, uh, I thought they'll just go light on him, but they worked him really hard for 24 hours. He's a little bit sore. If you hear someone snoring today, it's coming from this direction over here, all right? And well earned. Uh, Lee's a wonderful mate, and uh, he's actually uh, the coach of an aspiring young uh, girl that goes to this church called Nikita. So well done, right there. And Nikita is one of the one of the girls that wish when I was young I had her as a big sister when I used to go to the park and get bullied. So if anyone in the church wants to hang out with Nikita, go for gold. So what I'm going to do first is just talk about a little bit about I am Hope. This is just a little, just a promo for the the effort and everything that we do in in our organisation. We raise money for free kids counselling. And yesterday, Lee set a high target of 20 grand in Blenheim. And he smashed it. He, he got 20 grand. So unbelievable, community-spirited uh, person that this good fella is. So those that want to get along to go and see what he does, from little juniors up to you know uh, much older people like um, my age, um, just be encouraged to go along and check him out. Of that 20K... Did you know that that pays for 166 counselling sessions? Yeah, that's phenomenal. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that, that deserves a clap, doesn't it? That is, that is absolutely wonderful. So the simple thing is, from the age of 5 to 25, uh, we as an organisation raise money so we can get children or that bracket into free kids counselling two sessions. And you think two sessions is not a lot. Well, two sessions is what sometimes they need right now. Now, I'm not going to go into a political thing, but if you went to your doctor and tried to get a, a counselling session, it could take months, lots and lots of months. So sometimes four to six is what we've been told. But with our program, it can take 48 hours, which is absolutely incredible. And this is free. The average counselling session will cost you about $120 per hour. This is free. So anyone here right now, if you've got friends, um, family, children, you can go online, you can see little David pointing up there saying that um, I want counselling. 
click on that, it'll jump to a next sec section, and you'd see that the options that are there available. Now, in an emergency, of course, 111, let's not be silly, let's go straight to the, the highest point we can go to. But regardless of that, you can get these kids into uh, some support straight away. And in your community, you also get a drop-down, so you can see all the counsellors. And you can, through your parents or through the kids, can choose what sort of profile fits them best. And the great thing about it, of our 3,752 councillors throughout New Zealand, there's a lot of good Christian people in the communities, and we encourage you. We encourage you to go to a counsellor, but it's up to you to choose who you want. Now, so Mike and I, we don't see anything that's totally confidential, but we want to push this out there, and we, this is what we do uh, as a community. So our goal is to normalise mental health. We, we need to talk about it. We need to be open about it. We need to talk to our friends. You need to check in on your friends, your family members, and those often next to you. So it's really important. And this is what I do uh, as, as an ambassador on behalf of the organisation uh, as well. So I'm one of the board members. I've been with Mike. Uh, Mike and I have been friends since we're about 18 years old. And uh, this is a fantastic journey that he's done with the team that we've got. Over the last 10 years, we've spoken to more than 300,000 children throughout New Zealand, from the top of the North Island to the bottom of the South, even a place a friend of mine owns an island called Stewart Island. His name is Stewart. Does anyone know where that is? Yeah. And um, so we've covered the entire country, including the Chatham Islands as well. To, to, we've stretched that far to be able to get support and people for, for New Zealand. Uh, we run a very successful uh, program, in particular at the moment in Auckland. We're looking to spread this out where we uh, get these young ones. We put them into barista courses, hairdressing courses. Uh, we do uh, children's books in schools, and the schools have embraced that as well. So it's been a real good success to help kids talk about these uh, topics. I was trying to explain to uh, Lodisol School, uh, this little Māori boy about mental health, and he goes, Oh, Ron! I think I know what you're talking about. I think you're just a bit screwed up upstairs, but I think I still love you. <laughs> I adopted him as a hood ornament to my ute. There we go. Just some quick stats, and then I'll, I'll, I'll carry on from here. But the most, in, it costs us about $500,000 a month to run the organisation. So the money that comes in does not come to us. I don't get paid, Mike doesn't get paid. The money goes straight to councillors. So that's a good thing about our trust. There's only about 11 of us, uh, which is a very, very small trust, but the amount of work that we do throughout New Zealand is quite staggering. Unfortunately, we've got the highest suicide rate in the, in the country, and last year the stats have just come out through the coroner at 565. Yeah. So it's still pretty high, isn't it, people? So, um, you know, that's why we all constantly, and I'll stay on this journey as long as I can to push to get that down as far as we can get it down. I mean, the goal is zero, isn't it? But look, um, we, we've got to start somewhere and we've got to keep pushing this along. So here's a question. Have you accidentally thrown something away and you thought, ah, I needed that? And um, I'll answer that because some of the, some of the answers for, normally from the audience is, uh, oh, my wife, you know, don't do that. That's my, <laughs> you know, don't do that. So I almost threw away my life. And this is what I'm here to talk to you about. So I have been diagnosed with what's called, and I have to read it off my hand and I'll explain why, borderline personality disorder, okay? So I've got a particular illness and I take medication for it, but it brings on anxiety and, and depression. And without this medication, I'm, I go downhill. So, and part of my, you'll probably see me uh, shake, panic and go a little bit, blank sometimes, so just that's part of what my body's doing right now. It's working very, very hard right now to stand up to speak to you guys. But you know what? Through the grace of God 
and the journey that I've taken, I am excited to be here to talk to you guys about what's going on right now. Okay. That's part of my journey is uh, not doing this sort of stuff right, so here we go. Right, so this will only take about three hours, guys. You got it? You with me? You ready for my story? Okay. So this is my mate, Mike King, and a fellow called Stan Walker. You know these guys? We all suffer from the same thing, right? They're good fellas, and we check in with each other to make sure that, you know, he's our sounding, we're each other's sounding board to be able to talk about what we go through in our journey. And um, I've, like I said, I've known these guys for many, many years, and, and they're on the journey to support what we're doing right now. Okay, here we go. So Mike said one day that your story would be someone's survival guide. And this is exactly what is, what's, what's happened to me. So this is me um, right now. I had to make a massive life change. My life over the years started really bad and it went extremely downhill. So from where I am today, that's what I was looking like five years ago. Very unhealthy, very, very sad, very depressed. I don't look like an all-black wannabe. <laughs> Yet, my life took a massive turn, and um, I had basically thrown everything away. I have had three suicide attempts, and uh, again, through the grace of God and the journey that I've taken, I'm going to talk about some toolboxes and how you get through these next steps. Who knows where the, uh, Waiuku is? This is where I was born and bred. There's one, two. Anyone else? No. Okay, one, two, three. Okay, so Waiuku. Does anyone know where Renwick is? Yeah. And Sydney, yeah, nowhere near those places. It's just in south of Auckland, a little place called Waiuku, where Pastor Tom and I grew up. Okay, that's where I was born and bred, one of uh, seven siblings. There we go. And this is the lifestyle that, sadly, that my life took as a young fella. Uh, the top is a movie. You probably, some of you will know that movie. The bottom is the reality. These are relations and, and, and uncles and so forth. So our house was often uh, with parties and our neighbourhood areas was quite well known with lots of parties and lots of bad activity went on uh, in that time. And in that time, sadly, and this is the open truth here now, is that I was uh, sexually molested for a long, long time and physically uh, beaten a lot as a young child growing up. Things that shouldn't have never happened but happened. And, uh, and that sort of took my journey into the downward spiral because the people that you aspire to be like or the, the home that you felt was safe was not safe where, where I was. There was a bit of a front of how we used to live, but this was what was going on actually in the background. And this is me at the age of uh, four years old uh, looking after my little sister after a night of uh, partying and the family getting into a real bad state, police were caught, and it's quite a common thing that happened to us when we were very young kids. The most amazing person, uh, we call her Anahira, which in Māori means angel or saint. This is a missionary lady who came to our little town, Woku, many, many years ago, and used to pick us up on this white van and take us out to the marae, and used to sing songs to us, and one of the songs that she used to sing that I remember as a little boy sitting on her knee and she had cradled, cradled me and held me really tight was Jesus loves me, this I know, but the Bible tells me so. A beautiful song and I felt so safe and so comfortable in the arms of this lady that uh, I didn't really know, but she, the warmth and the comfort from there was from her heart. And a beautiful lady. And then she had this Bible verse which Tom talked about today that, and all I remember as a young person, I only put the section up of it, he will never leave you nor forsake you. Uh, this is a beautiful verse that, that I carry everywhere I go as one, as one of my nuggets and my toolboxes to remember from Deuteronomy 31.6. 6. 
Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or terrified uh, because of them. For the Lord, your God, goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So as a young boy, not knowing much about Jesus Christ, I felt safe in the arms of this lady, as we should with our family members. Unfortunately, one of my heroes in my life left when I was seven years old as my father. And I remember to this day him walking down the, uh, the, the street um, of where we lived and out the door and never to see him uh, for, for many, 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 many years. At the age of 32, I, got to, I tracked him down and I got to meet him. Uh, and uh, three months after that, he passed away. So I got to say, and it was hard because I didn't love him, but I felt to say, I love you. Uh, three months later, I felt I had a piece in my heart that we somehow connected, and then we you know, said goodbye to, goodbye to my dad. So as I grew up without a father, the depression kicked in, the anxiety kicked in, uh, all the mental illness, all the things that were going on, because what had happened to me as a young child carried on through that journey uh, into my uh, um, middle years and later years. I was sent to these um, health camps. I was uh, picked up by Maori Affairs. I was sent out, what we call whangai out, which was sent out to family members and stayed with family members for a period of time, which things just didn't get better. It was kind of the same patterns and the same things were happening all over that time. Um, pretty scary when you're a young boy, and this is exactly the room that I stayed in, and that's my bed. So quite scary. And I've got to meet some of the tea or the... Uh, nuns or nurses uh, later on in life and we, we share this journey with them and they're very, very touched by the story. Life as a teen was no different. I was getting worse. I was not, had nothing, nothing. I was dealing with no issue. I just survived in, in life because I knew how I, I can tell jokes and make people laugh and, and get acceptance that way and I thought the best thing to do is get involved in silly things like just crime and drugs and alcohol like most kids do. That's Michael Jackson up there. No, that's me. Um, looks like Michael Jackson. So it got worse from there, and, and all I wanted was acceptance because I had no one. I could embrace people, but you know, I wouldn't let them embrace me back. I just kept big walls up. Um, and when I'm in my teens, I still remember the verse, God will never leave me nor forsake me, but I thought everyone in my life had left me. How's that possible? So why... Would I want to believe or choose Christ? I just didn't get it. It was just fake to me. But somehow in my heart of hearts, knowing that Anaheda kept singing these songs that pushed into my little spirit, into my heart, I really felt that there was something there, but I just could not open up. There we go. So, over the years I had 37 counsellors. Who's had 37 counsellors? Hands up. Yep. No one. No, just me. Uh, a lot of these counsellors were um, not good for me, and uh, a lot of them I actually knew what to say, so I, uh, I got sent to them by the courts, and I got sent to them by the doctors and the hospital, and I knew how to talk my way around it and get out of there, because I just didn't want to deal with stuff. Everything had bottled up, and my depression was getting really, really worse. And as I got older, I knew um, that my life was going to go into a different direction. I was excited about where I was going, because I had jobs, and I was doing quite well financially, making a bit of money. Uh, then I got the big break. Here we go. Life as an adult. So this is my CV. I put together my CV when I was about oh, 15. What I wanted was a wife. You don't put that on a CV, right, when you go for a job? Who does that? Ma? Okay. 
I wanted a wife, I wanted a cool job, and uh, I did some work in, as a truck driver and did some factory work. And this is my qualifications as a young fella. Driver's license at the age of 15, and I failed it a few times, and I've got a cycling certificate. That's all I've got, even today. Yet today, I run a very, very large logistics company. I'm on five boards, and we do quite well as, as a family. It's just been a, a great journey. So from a little boy from Little Waikou who went through the journey to where, to where I am now, somehow along the way, God had actually blessed me because he had a plan uh, for me. How's that? Here we go. And here we go. So I got the hot lady. I got the wife, the beautiful lady there. I have two awesome sons that love me and support me now, but I'll tell you about them a little bit later. And I have an ATM. Who knows what an ATM? Aaliyah, Tane, and Mila, grandkids. They're my ATM machine, these little three. And um, we spend a lot of money on these fellas. Um, and, uh, and I have the most awesome career. And then I got the break to go to Hong Kong, and that's when I thought, hey, things are getting better for me. The anxiety was still there, the depression was still there, but I felt I had to perform. So what I did was um, just took off on a real big direction, kind of left the family over here because I felt I had the, uh, people were liking me and needing me and wanting to um, get me to go all, all over the world. I, I travelled to... Um, 30-odd countries, I looked after 17 countries, I travelled seven and a half months a year uh, on a plane and I was never home. I felt accepted, I felt that there is uh, hope for me in this. But then it got out of hand. Um, I was making a heck of a lot of money back there, it's not about the money now, I was just, just trying to paint a picture here, and uh, there was no stopping me, but I still blocked out all the issues that I had which took me into, I got to meet some of the world's best businesses, leaders. I've met Zuckerberg, I've met Elon Musk way back when he started some of his businesses, um, uh, Jack Ma from uh, AliExpress, and then I felt accepted by a lot of these people, and I thought this is going in a fantastic direction, yet there was still a missing part in my life. From there, I decided, you know, I was on a bit of a roll, and I got to meet all these great fancy people. And then I started hitting the booze. Uh, started telling my wife, everything's fine. You've got money. We don't need to worry about this. We had maids. We had cars. All the flash stuff that you'd want. And then it all went downhill. Interesting verse that I, I, I put this up only actually in, in the last uh, month or so. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it in Proverbs 4.23. I didn't guard my heart. My wife was a Christian. She was praying for me. She was scared. I was disrespecting her. I was doing all things that I shouldn't be doing, and she was about to leave me. But I said, don't worry about it. We're doing well. We've got lots of money. Things are going great. I don't need anything. I put this wall right around me, and I was on a super high. But then life got worse. It all went downhill. I'd overloaded myself, my family, my friends, and I hit rock bottom. I broke. I had a breakdown. I was in Singapore with my wife. We had transferred to so many different countries, and I decided that's it, enough's enough. I'm going to take my life. So I got massively intoxicated one night. I was out in a, in a, in a field, and there was a bridge, and I was running for it. For some reason, there were already police patrolling in Singapore around this district, um, and then I got into a, a pretty bad scuffle with them, and I tried to get over that bridge. And then, unfortunately, um, I got arrested. 
In Singapore, suicide's a crime. And so they put me in the prison for a while, and then everything just fell apart. My wife had packed up. She's already gone home. Um, my sons didn't want to know me. My son said, you'll never see the grandkids ever again. I had nothing. I had gone from rags to riches to rags overnight. And it was painful because I'd lost everything. I worked so hard for what I thought was right. But I'd suppressed so much over the years and I didn't deal with this stuff. And what I thought, what I was doing right, I was giving away money, I thought I'm doing all the right things, but all I was doing was trying to fill a need in my heart that I didn't need to. It was the missing part of that for the hope was Jesus Christ when I first started as a young one. I was too hard for them. They put me into the mental institute in Singapore uh, for 11 days, and that's me to the right there with a counsellor. Um, I knew things had to change pretty damn quick. But I knew what it was. I knew what the hope was. So I came back to New Zealand uh, under arrest in a plane. My son's a very tall fellow. He's a prison officer. and He was sent to Singapore to bring his father home embarrassingly on a plane handcuffed all the way back to New Zealand. He didn't speak to me for 14 hours and I knew I was coming back to absolutely nothing. And that was really painful. And, you know, when you, when you fly, those that fly around the world, and you, um, you see the, uh, you know, you open up the little window and all the light comes beaming in, I knew then something had hit me in my heart of hearts that God had a better plan for me, and I needed to change very, very quickly. I didn't want to lose my family. I didn't want to lose my kids. I didn't want to lose a job. The most fortunate thing for me when I came back to New Zealand, I had no charges laid against me because it was a suicide attempt. I got no criminal record. They just wanted to get rid of me, and so did my company. I was a liability. Um, so my desire when I came back was to still end it. I'd had enough, and if someone wasn't talking to me, I had massive anxiety attacks, I had massive meltdowns, and things were just going, it just got worse and worse and worse. But I knew on that plane when I saw that light and I felt, and this is a me moment, uh, however you feel your moment, this was a me moment. I felt that verse come back to me that Jesus will never leave me nor forsake me. And I felt for some reason the comfort of that missionary lady, Anahita, that love just come into my heart. And I knew from that point I can make the change, I can make a decision to step out of what, I was, what I've been through and what I've struggled with and be the person that God wants me to be, to be the Ronnie that I am today. And I made a very, very big decision when I came back to New Zealand to get counsellor number 38, Jesus, back in my life. I had to, with the risk knowing that my family will never be part of this journey with me. This counsellor is a fantastic guy called Richard Black. Some of you may have heard of him. Spent a lot of time with me, working on me to, to do some change. And I wanted the change. And I had to step up, and, and with a risk against still not having my family with me. And by the grace of God, my wife said, I'm prepared to come and sit with you and go through some talking, some counselling and things like that. And in time, 
we'll talk about it with the kids. But at that stage, the kids weren't going to have a bar of it. So I did it for 12 months uh, on medical leave. In fact, instead of going once, I went twice. In fact, I think I probably paid Richard's house mortgage off because I paid so much money going to his counselling sessions and his boat and his new Lamborghini. But I had a desire to change. I wanted to change. I was sick of living that life. I wasn't the father that I should have been to these kids. I wasn't the granddad. I wasn't the husband. I wasn't the real Ronnie. And by the grace of God and these steps that I took, and even like through our programs, I see why counselling is so important. I see why raising your hand is also important that you want to change. And my wife had made a decision after 12 months that after all I did, she said, yes, let's give it a go. Let's start again. And it was incredible because that night when I had flown back into New Zealand was the, another night I said, I don't need to be here on this earth. There's nothing for me. I'm going. And I'm so grateful for the love of God and for making my decision to choose Jesus, to change me to the person that I am today. And we have a wonderful relationship now, and my sons and I connect so well, but I had to do some pretty big steps. I had to step up and be a father, and I, had to, I, I, I have a contract with my kids. Oh. I made a deal with them that they can ask me a question anytime they want to. They can look at all my social media. They've got all my passwords to everything. And I have it totally open with them. I made a contract, it was a family contract, with my grandkids that they can come to G-Pop. They don't, I don't do, do granddad, that sounds really old. I'm a G-Pop. They come to G-Pop and whatever we ask is a question or things that you know, they, they're going to ask me because it, it you know, they see me going downhill or I've got anxiety, I've got the shakes. And are you okay? I have to stop and answer them. And I do. And being accountable uh, to the family like this um, it's, it's, for me, it's being accountable to Jesus, to, to whatever he asks us to do, we do, right? We've got to do it because it makes us better people. And for me, it's so funny. The, these, these kids, my, my son did it to me uh, two weeks ago. He came up to me and says, Dad, are you okay? And I said, uh, yeah, no. And uh, so we sat and we had to talk about it. So they're brave enough to come and do that with me now. It's fantastic. I absolutely uh, ask you all to do hopefully the same if you, if you can, right? There we go. One of my power verses that, that I absolutely love, again, these are the ones, these are my little nuggets that I live by, and this is something that's really important for me. Is that up there? Yes, it is. First Peter 5.10, and after, after you have suffered for a little while, I suffered for a longer time, the God of all grace will himself restore and confirm, uh, confirm and strengthen and establish you. And when I got this verse from, from, from Richard and took it home, I knew there was a breakthrough and I knew I was valued and it was worth living for my family. It was worth staying alive. Not as in like the BG staying alive, you know, staying alive. And I'm so excited that the decisions that I made and the turning point that I did that I share this to absolutely like, hundreds of hundreds of people, thousands of people, my journey, and a lot of them have got similar journeys. 
And I get the chance now, being alive, to talk to these people. And a lot of these people have also made some pretty powerful decisions to change from their old habits and their old ways into new. And you think to yourself, oh, it's hard, but I've got difficulty. I mean, I've, got, I've got difficulties. I've got shakes right now and that. But I'm not letting that disability stop me from reaching out to you all or to people, or those that have never looked at the option of Jesus Christ and the chance for him to change your life like he's changed mine. And this is the journey I'm going to stay on for the rest of my life. This is part of the contract now, guys. This is the fun part. The ATM. So little Mila, the one with the big smiley face with the white hoodie, uh, said to me uh, about a week or so ago, G-Pop, we're going to go and do nails. No, no, no. G-Pop doesn't, G-Pop doesn't do nails. G-Pop, you promised. This was a test. I said, Mila, go to your room. Or go outside on the road down the corner and on the motorway back to your other house, right? So I said, G-Pop doesn't do nails. That day, my, my car was in getting service, and my wife's got this bright yellow car, and Mila's only this big, so she sits in the back, and no one can see her. We had the windows down in the car, and we were singing some of her songs, and she made me do this. Check it out. Hang on. Here we go. Uh, Go G-Pops. So I was driving up the road, come to the set of lights, and this dude was in the car next to me, and I'm like this, I'm looking at, no, 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 no. And I put my hands down, and Mila says, no, G-Pop, you, you put your hands back up. <laughs> you put your hands back up. So be very careful. If your children want to make a deal and a contract with you, you get a lawyer, and you put in some good terms and conditions. I'll tell you that now. But this is the lovely thing about it and making these decisions is being open and being transparent that my five-year-old granddaughter can see G-Pop not in a good space and say, G-Pop, you know, I rung her about five minutes before we started here and she goes, you've got this, G-Pop. Yeah. Because I get nervous as heck doing this. I'm not polished, but I love what I do because I know the love of Jesus Christ in my heart and the changes that I've made and that you can make today. So don't do nails, guys. If you want to, that's up to you, right? <laughs> My other favorite, when all that's happened back there in the day, God has the plan. He had it from the beginning, didn't he? He knew my path. He knew what I was going to go through. Not everyone goes through this sort of stuff. But the fact is I made a choice to want to change from bad to good, from my younger years to where I am now as an adult and to be able to share this story with you guys that gives hope. Hope in Christ. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Not just prosper in money, prosper in life, prosper in riches in your heart. And that's my story, rags to riches. It's not just about money, it's about riches here. Plans to give you hope in a future. There's an amazing uh, comment from a guy called John Eckhoff who wrote, God found Gideon in a hole. He found Joseph in a prison. He found Daniel in the lion's den. He found Ronnie in Singapore. 
He found you in Blenheim in church today. It's not up there. I've got it down here. He has a curious habit of showing up in the midst of trouble, not an absence. Where the world sees failure, God sees future. Next time you feel unqualified to be used by God, remember this. He tends to recruit from the pit, not the pedestal. I don't let borderline personality hold me back. This is now a tool. I'm free from this. I know I am. I know when you wake up in the morning and you have to put on glasses or clothes or your seatbelt when you drive to, you know, it is what it is. This is, this is going to keep you safe where you go. For me, I have to take medication. I'm not afraid to tell people that. I don't care that I don't remember this. I don't care because I know I'm free from it. And I know you can be free from these things as well today. So we're from here. I can tell you right now, the work we're doing throughout the community um, in churches, youth groups, businesses. It's been a fantastic journey and there's a lot more we are doing and we're going to be doing in the years to come supporting Lee, doing a lot more up here in Blenheim. And again, I think for me, team, is that making this decision, these decisions to change and use it, putting all these tools and, and efforts in place, if you feel today that you need to change, that you need to put things in place or on the cross. If you feel today that, hey, you're not the great father, but you want to be. If you feel today you're not the great mum or the grandparent or the kid, make today the day you choose hope in Christ. So, you know, I know that there may be non-Christians and Christians in here, but I'm just asking you for today to really consider your journey going forward. And I believe that there is some that have got a similar story to me. I believe some that's probably got worse stories than me. I believe some of you are actually are doing really, really well. And that's fantastic. But today, my story for you is about hope in Christ.